This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The United Nations Environment Assembly, in a little-noticed move, passed a historic resolution in early March to pave the way for a legally binding international treaty ending plastic pollution. Inger Andersen, executive director of the UN Environment Program, called it, quote, a triumph by planet Earth over single-use plastics and, quote, the most significant environmental multilateral deal since the Paris Accord. Global plastic pollution has increased dramatically in recent years, just as plastics recycling has been shown to be largely a sham. My guest is Conrad McCarran. He is the senior vice president of As You Sow. Welcome to the program, Conrad. Thank you. Great to be here. So I mentioned it's little known because in the U.S. press, it got very, very little attention. But for the United Nations world or people who follow such international um, dealings and negotiations, it seemed like it was a huge deal. Um, can you explain the significance of what was passed and whether it can actually lead to a legally binding treaty over plastics pollution? Right. So there basically what was passed in Nairobi last week was um, authorization to begin the process of negotiating a global treaty. And so none of the details have been worked out. There's, there's no treaty yet. There's no actual content. But um, certainly there were a couple of important milestones uh, that came out of the negotiations with the uh, member states. The first one, of course, being uh, that it's legally binding, which I think is very important. And that was a very important signal to send. And also that it would deal with the full life cycle of plastic. There were some members who just wanted to deal with the post-consumer side, the waste side, but that we felt uh, was very inadequate. You need to be able to look at the whole life cycle. And that means the ability to cut production up stream if necessary, so that we're not producing so many plastics that we can't manage. So those were two excellent um, initial um, pieces uh, for the negotiators to work with, which is that they have the full life cycle uh, to work with and that it will be binding. How unanimous, if you will, was this particular resolution? I understand there were 175 country representatives there, um, sometimes countries or governments that are invested in certain industries tend to be very reluctant. Um, but in this particular case, was there unanimity? Uh, appears to be, um, yes. Yeah, I, I'm sure there was plenty of uh, input from industry groups that perhaps did not want it to be legally binding or would prefer that it only dealt with the post-consumer part of the life cycle. But the fact that essentially there were no dissents at the end, as I understand it, from the proposal being passed was an excellent sign that you pretty much have a unified membership, that this is a priority that needs to happen soon and that we need to get on with it because the global crisis is already way ahead of us and we need to catch up with it. Mm -hmm. What is the scope of the problem? Just for those who, you know, may still be in the dark or may feel that plastic consumption isn't a big deal because we get to throw away our used single-use plastic bottles and packaging into our recycling bin, which, you know, our local government then takes care of. So how do you explain the scope of this problem? In brief, the production of plastic 
greatly outweighs our ability to control it. And we've been finding out over the last five or six years from new scientific data that huge amounts of plastic are being mismanaged. They're not being recycled, and many of them aren't even being able to be put into landfills, which would at least keep them from polluting the environment. Uh, we believe about 40% of pl all plastic is mismanaged, which means it doesn't end up either being recycled or being put into a landfill. And so that means it ends up in the environment, polluting the land, polluting the water. Th that's the main reason that so many people are upset about these issues, because you only have to look at videos of birds choking on plastic and understand that we have a real global crisis on our hands. Uh, it's also partly to do with the convenience of plastics. They certainly are materials that provide uh, enormous amounts of convenience for our modern lifestyles, but that's, that's a problem because many of those are the materials that are hardest to recycle. And so those are the ones that often end up in littered and ending up in the ocean or um, in harm's way. So given the scope of this problem, what are the ways in which uh, this particular UN resolution can move forward? Your organization, as you so points out, that you've reached agreements with some major corporations that are part of the problem. Um, we have major corporations that rely on the, the ease, the convenience, and the low price of plastic and that are a huge part of the problem. So what's the progress on that front? Well, I think that's, um, yes, that's a big challenge to be determined, especially when you look at the fact that you have global corporations operating sometimes in 180, 190 countries, all of which have different capabilities in terms of waste management or even collecting waste. Companies that operate in scores of nations will have to become much more involved in the systems issues within nations and regions. Clearly in Asia, for instance, you have a limited capacity for waste management, and that all needs to be built from the ground up. But one of the things we're finding is, of course, that we need to reduce the amount of plastics being produced. We just can't manage it at the pace that it's being produced. And so clearly one of the big sticking points, one of the big points of contention will be efforts probably by environmental groups, advocacy groups, to put a cap on plastic production, whereas companies will be saying, uh, plastics producers will be saying, no, we can manage plastic at its current rate of production. We just need to do a better job in recycling and waste management. But I think um, it's pretty clear that we're doing a pretty awful job in many areas in terms of waste management. We don't have the resources, we don't have the infrastructure, and that a pause in reduction of plastics in certain areas is going to be necessary. And so I think that's where we'll see some flashpoints is which kinds of plastics will be restricted. We're already seeing some that are being phased out that are considered problematic, like polystyrene, which is sometimes called styrofoam. It crumples up into little pieces and which can be viewed as food by fish, choke on these little pieces of styrofoam. That is seen as a, a bad actor kind of plastic and needs to be phased out. PVC, polyvinyl chloride, also needs to be phased out because it can be toxic when it's burned. So there are some categories like that that many businesses um, agree they probably won't be using in the future. But I think debate will be over things like single-use plastics, the things that we commonly associate with uh, takeout packaging, water and soda cups and bottles. You know, what will happen there? Will we be able to replace that with a culture where we bring reusable containers in the future and avoid the 
necess uh, the need to even produce single-use plastics that are only used for a few minutes and then discarded, but which, of course, end up in landfills for hundreds of years. Conrad, what about the emissions from plastics? That's something that doesn't get that much attention, but as we've increased how much plastic is generated and used and then discarded without being recycled, isn't there a uh, cl uh, climate change angle here as well? Absolutely. Of course, plastics come from fossil fuels, and so they're a byproduct of the production of oil and gas, and they not only are responsible with their footprint from oil and gas production, but from further refined production into resins. And so they do have a significant footprint that we think will be growing because in the future, as oil and gas companies are able to sell less of their product for gasoline, for engines, as cars are switched to electric vehicles, they're going to want to be selling more of these products as plastic applications. And so the climate footprint will increase. So yes, I think anyone who's concerned about the climate issue has to be uh, concerned that plastics are adding a significant burden to the already uh, huge concerns about, about our climate. And uh, there's also pollution from a standpoint of just inhaling these plastics. A lot of people don't realize that in, especially in developing countries where they don't have landfills established yet, plastics are burned openly many days right in people's communities. And inhaling these can be very bad for your health. And so we really need to be able to get a handle on this practice of burning plastics. Um, that needs to be restricted because that, that's a direct threat to human health. And a lot of the recycling um, efforts were basically uh, exporting used plastics from countries like the United States to uh, nations in the global south, um, you know, just literally dumping on these nations. I imagine that at the United Nations Environmental uh, Assembly, that uh, this global body, which has uh, obviously includes representatives from around the world, that there were um, low-income nations quite happy to see that there might be a reduction in the reliance on plastics. Um, not only, I understand, are these many of these countries ending up with the, you know, the plastic waste from other nations, but they are also increasing their own plastic use as, you know, companies like Coca-Cola make greater and Walmart make greater inroads into uh, low-income nations like, like India or Pakistan, right? Right, exactly. Now, one of the uh, proposed uh, solutions is to go back to refillable bottles. And companies like Coca-Cola actually had been using refillable glass and plastic bottles in uh, many of their global markets. And they recently agreed to significantly increase the amount of uh, sales of their product that will switch from single-use plastic to refillable bottles. They say that about 16% of their current sales is in refillable bottles or in fountain drinks that um, can be <clears throat> served in reusables. I remember as a child, when I would visit my relatives in India, we would get um, sodas like Coca-Cola from glass bottles and you would buy them from the store, usually a neighborhood store. And after consuming them, you would have to return them to the store and get your deposit back. Um, and it was just a thing that was done and it was assumed to be right. done because we were living in a poor nation. But in fact, of course, that practice was ahead of its time. Right. 
So it turns out that in some cases, going back to the future, if you will, is <laughs> the thing to do. Uh, yeah. And uh, we were pleased to be involved in a direct negotiation with Coca-Cola. And just last month, they agreed that they will increase the amount of sales from 16 to 25% that will be refillables by 2030. So they will be increasing operations in, in many countries of refillable bottles and returnable bottles, just as you explained, so people will be able to get a credit and, and bring them back to the store where they purchase them. There you have about a 90% rate of return, which is great compared to a, a really bad uh, rate of less than 30% of plastic single-use bottles are returned here in the United States. So that's just one example of how we can uh, move towards some creative solutions by reducing the amount of single-use bottles that are produced in the first place. So finally, Conrad, what's next for the United Nations and a potentially legally binding global treaty? I imagine, you know, the skeptic in me is sort of worried that when such things are known, the wheels of industry start to move to try to chip away at the regulations and that in the end, if such a thing were to pass, it might end up not having much teeth. I, I don't mean to sound so cynical, but what are the next steps at the UN level for a binding treaty to end plastics pollution? Right. I think it's going to be a couple of difficult years of negotiation. It Even when you say binding, we don't know yet which pieces of certain rules or policies will be considered binding and which other actions might be left to so-called national action plans. So each country will be held to one standard that's global, we think, but then there will be national action plans relevant to their countries that they will agree to. So there'll, there'll need to be vigilance all over the place at, at all these levels. Uh, environmental groups and other groups who observe this need to be watchful in, in all of these markets. The other piece that's notable, I think, is discussing the work of the informal sector, the so-called waste pickers, who are the folks who, under terrible working conditions, collect plastic bottles in many developing countries so that they can be recycled. And they're doing these from in these huge trash sites. And so they were mentioned in the final agreement that um, their experience is valuable and that their experience needs to be respected. And hopefully another important outcome of this whole process will be that these Informal workers will get better working conditions, better pay, benefits, and will be brought into more of a formal recycling system in the future. Because right now, they are doing a lot of the dirty work of recycling that needs to be uh, brought in and they need to be compensated fairly and, and be able to work under more uh, humane working conditions. So we hope that there will be this social justice aspect as well, where the um, informal workers who are doing this great work will now be able to be treated much better than they are uh, at this point. Conrad, give out a website for your organization, As You Sow. Sure, it's asyousow.org. That's A-S-Y-O-U-S-O-W.org. And there you can find out about our programs, engaging companies to reduce their plastic use. And we have a Plastic Solutions Investor Alliance, a group of over 50 investors who are challenging and engaging companies to reduce their use of plastic. We'll link to that from our website. Thank you so much, Conrad.
Thank you. My guest has been Conrad McCarran, Senior Vice President of As You So. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.